He was taken from me by someone I trusted, a friend, a mentor, a man who I would trust with anything, but a man you trust with anything can take everything. Basim ibn Ishaq, circa 875. Hello and welcome to Visions of the Past. My name is Andrew, and I'm the host of this Assassin's Creed lore podcast. This is episode 65, and today we're going to talk about the feud that existed between Odin and Loki. While this feud has basis in Norse myth, with Odin and Loki being blood brothers, and the numerous times that Loki caused some form of mischief that directly affected Odin, like the death of Odin's son Baldr and his interactions with the Builder, Going into every detail of the myths would be a bit overkill for the information that we have on their Isu counterparts. With that being said, the information that we do have about the feud between Odin and Loki within Assassin's Creed is only shown within Assassin's Creed Valhalla, specifically the Animus Anomalies and the story arcs The Fate of the High One and The Saga of the Snows. Because of the locations of the information, I will be spoiling the Asgard and Jotunheim story arcs along with other aspects of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. The two mythic arcs were seen through the eyes of Eivor Varen's daughter after moving to England in 872. While still living in Norway, Eivor had a vision about betraying her brother Sigurd, and after moving to England, drank a potion that was prepared by the seer Valka in order to gain insight into this vision. This potion put her into a deep sleep, where she woke up as Havi, who was otherwise known as Odin, on his throne in Heimdall's tower. After a brief conversation about his fate with the Nornir, Verdandi, Skald, and Uder, the three sisters who chose the fate for everyone, Javi claimed that he was above their words as the High One, and left the tower to plan a defense of Asgard from Jotun warriors with Tyr, Thor, and Freya, eventually deciding to take the defense on the far side of the Bifrost. After a successful defense, Javi closed the door to Jotunheim, when looking for Loki about why he wasn't guarding the door, Javi found Loki talking to someone known only as the Builder. After a conversation with the Builder about the possibility of him helping to guard Asgard, they agree to test the Builder's skill. This leads Javi to getting the Builder water from the Well of Udur. It is here, in this well, where Javi first sees the wolf Fenrir, but Tyr shows up to stop Javi from killing Fenrir, resulting in Javi ordering Fenrir's imprisonment. Coming out of the well, Javi spoke to Loki about the wolf and the Builder, leading Javi to meet with the Builder and telling Loki that the wolf lives. After helping the Builder test his shield, the Builder claims that he can build a shield strong enough to defend all of Asgard, but he demands to be allowed to marry Freya. Delivering this message to the other Aesir, Freya is upset, but the group agrees that they should try to push the Builder's pride to finish the wall. It was at this moment that Fenrir broke free of his confinement, leading Javi to fight him in Freya's garden. Loki stops him from killing Fenrir, stating that he is actually his son, and reminding Javi on the oath that Javi once swore not to spill his blood. This leads Javi to order the imprisonment of Fenrir on Lingvi Island, and Javi to speak to Evaldi, the dwarven smith in Javi's debt, about finding a better way to restrain Fenrir. After speaking to the dwarven smith about using a cord, Ivaldi told Javi 
that the Builder wanted to know how magic affects those in Asgard, and then sends Javi to collect what is needed to smith the unbreakable cord. After giving them to the smith, Javi had a conversation with Freya about giving her to the Builder, which they agreed would not happen. Meeting with the Builder, Javi found that the tower was done, just waiting for the last rune to be wrote. Shortly after, Thor and Tyr brought Freya to the Builder to find that this Freya was actually a trick by Loki. And Freya stops the trickery, and after chastising the men, Loki says he knows where the paint is to finish the runes. After gathering the paint, Javi finishes the inscription, and the Builder transformed into a giant Jotun and attacked Javi. After killing the Builder with his own hammer, the Asgardians convened with an argument bursting out, blaming Loki as the architect for the Builder's plan. The fact that they were back to the same defenses as when the Builder showed up in Asgard. Javi decided to go to Jotunheim to find their Hooger magic, leaving the ruling of Asgard to Freya and the guarding of Fenrir to Tyr. When Javi reached the door to Jotunheim, Eivor woke from her dream and searched out ingredients for Valka to brew a potion for her to continue as Javi through Jotunheim. In Jotunheim, Javi searched out Angrabata and found her in her home within the Iron Wood, having a conversation with Hirokin about Hirokin's experiments on Earth. Interrupting this conversation, Javi is informed that what he is searching for is just called the Mead, but for it he must retrieve three Hagsclog roots for Angrabata. Upon returning with the roots, Angrabata brews a potion with these roots and uses it to loosen Javi's tongue to learn the truth of the Asgardian defenses and find the truth about Javi's intentions. After a brief time, Loki appeared and Angrabata put a blade to Javi's throat, leading to questions about Fenrir and what Javi will do to him to keep his fate from happening. Javi admits wanting to kill Fenrir, but that he won't because of his oath with Loki. Javi then falls unconscious after Loki states that they will bind him as he plans to do with Fenrir. Javi wakes in the branches of Angrabata's tree just before he's saved by Hirokin. Hirokin then tells Javi that the mead is located in the cellar of Sutinger and that the vault is only open on an occasion of a great feast and that he must get Sutinger to throw a feast for him to get the mead. In exchange for this information, Hirokin demands a portion of the mead. Javi believes that only a great gift would get Sutinger to throw a feast big enough to get him to open his vaults. Hirokin then tells him of a cauldron that was lost on the way to Sutinger's and that he would do well to take a gift for Sutinger's daughter, Galondor, as well, and to find her at the Well of Mimir, once he has the mead. After finding the cauldron in Thor's bridal circlet as a gift for Galondor, Javi headed to Utgard to meet with Sutinger. During their meeting, Javi gave Sutinger the cauldron, leading to Sutinger calling for a feast. Having mentioned that he also wanted to meet Galondor, and that he might be able to get her to come to the feast, Suttinger agreed and told Javi that she would be found in her grotto, but to be careful, while he was safe with Suttinger, if he wandered Utengard, he did so at his own peril. When Javi met with Gunloader, he found her staring into what looked like a broken mirror and asked her what the grotto really was. She told him that it was a place where they created powerful magic to see all futures, but each one led to Ragnarok, and eventually Suttinger stopped coming not seeing its use, but that she was not going to give up. 
She told Javi that she could see people who came so far after they were gone, and that she left them messages. When prompted to leave to go to the feast, Galander mentions that she wants Javi to hear the voices from the future and speaks into the broken mirror, calling to see if the prophet was there. When no voice was heard, she resigned to leave and to go to the feast. On the way to the feast, Gunloder told Javi that what she's doing is her responsibility because her people are ignoring the disaster that is coming and that someone has to do something about it. When discussing how long she's been working on a solution, Javi mentions that there was one that he knew was still untested. Admitting that there was one, Golander stated that it required defiling the well of knowledge that all humans in Midgard drank from, and that she was worried of what it would do to them, and that she did not want to hurt them to the point that when Javi asked if it even meant the death of all the Jotnar, she stated that she would find another way. Once arriving to the feast, Suttinger tells him that the cauldron he bought was in a place of prominence and full of mead. When asked if it was the mead from the vault, Suttinger explained that the cauldron produces its own mead. During this conversation, Galondor asked if she must stay and that they have little time and her work must be finished. Suttinger responded to her that it can wait, and he insists that she enjoy herself. After Javi's guest speech, he spends much of the feast trying to get the Jotunar to drink the cauldron dry, including playing a game of riddles with Galonder. During the feast itself, Javi felt like he saw Loki, but the local Jotunar claimed that his name was Thok. After Javi was able to get the Jotunar to drain the cauldron, Sutinger had Galonder open the vault and have the slaves bring up more mead. Javi followed Galonder to the vault, and when asked what he was doing there, Javi gave her Thor's bridal circlet and seduced her. While she slept, Javi stole a flask of mead and also found six tablets that recounted the other solutions that they had used to try to stop Ragnarok. After retrieving the mead, Javi ran into Suttinger, who was told of Javi's intent by Loki, and a battle ensued. After the fight, Javi told Suttinger that he took the mead for the safety of the Aesir and the Vanir, to which Suttinger responded that he'd changed many fates with the mead, but not his own. Once Javi made it to Mimir's well with the mead, he was confronted once again by Loki. The two had an argument over Javi's intentions with the mead and about Fenrir. This argument ends after Javi refuses to release Fenrir, and he gets into a fight with Loki. After the fight, Loki stated that all of this was fated, and that it will happen again, to which Javi responded that Loki would not be there to see it. Loki responds to Javi that the game isn't over, and that it would never be over, and then escaped, transforming himself into a salmon. Meeting Hurokin inside the well, Javi asks what he is to do with the mead. Hurokin tells him that he is only to drink it the hour before his death, as his huger will take flight and be forever fixed. Confused, Javi asks why they're at Mimir's well, to which Mimir's head states that even after Ragnarok has come and gone, the well will remain and remember. Asking for counsel of the wise Mimir, conversation between the three ensued, where Javi finds that the water of the well is needed to get the mead to its final form, but before he could take any, the water needed to be infused with the blood of the Aesir. The blood was said to be needed by Mimir because to remember you, it must know you. 
When asked what it would do to the humans of Midgard, Mimir does admit that humans will be forever altered, but exactly how, no one knows. Hurokin tells Javi that this is what the others feared, but that they cared too much for the humans. Asking one final time what happens after making the sacrifice, Mimir told Javi that while the world burned, the world tree would keep him. His body will die, but his huger will live on. In time, born anew in a world built from the ashes of the old one. Javi asked if there was no other way, and Hurokin vouches for the process, stating that there is one she loves deeply that depends on it. Asking one final time, there was no other choice, and receiving an affirmative, Javi plucked out his left eye, crushed it, and dropped it into the well. The well lit up, and Javi took some of its water. Mimir then confirmed the sacrifice, stating that whomever shall drink the mead, the world tree will remember them. Before leaving Jotunheim, Javi asked Sorokin what her sacrifice was. She responded with liberty, explaining that Sutinger and Galander would hunt her now for what has happened to the end of the Nine Realms. Seeing that the three are connected, Javi asked how. Hirokin replied that they ruled together as a triad, as father, mother, and the sacred voice. That together, they tried to stop Ragnarok six times, and failed each time. The mead was their seventh attempt. But that Sutinger and Galander feared that it might change the humans for the worst, so they locked away and banished her from Utgard and that by Javi's efforts, she now had the ashes of her husband, as he had made his own sacrifice for knowledge, and that with a few changes, the mead might undo old sorrows. Javi returned to Asgard, where he was greeted by Ivaldi, giving him a great cord that he called Galepnir to bind Fenrir with. Headed straight to bind Fenrir, Javi spoke with Tyr about him, and asked Tyr to help him bind the wolf by lying to him about the pain that the cord could cause. Tyr agreed and made a deal with Fenrir to be bound. No harm would come to him, and that if he was untrue, that Fenrir may take his hand. When Javi tried to bind Fenrir, it caused him great pain, and in reaction, Fenrir lashed out, biting Tyr's arm off below the elbow and causing a battle between Fenrir and Javi, though at the end, Javi does succeed in binding Fenrir. After returning to his throne in Heimdall Tower, Javi was visited once again by the Nornir, Verdandi, Skald, and Uder. This time, to show him a vision of what was to come. Calling him arrogant for trying to change his fate, but that he is still bound to his fate, though there is one thread that escapes the pattern. Stating that doom will come for the Aesir and the Vanir, that the earth will quake and the sun will die. The vision shows Javi and those closest to him drinking the mead, while sitting around a table with a tree growing through it. Skald then tells him that their minds and spirits will surge to a time beyond where they will be reborn. The vision then had Javi stating that none may follow, Loki last of all. The group then rose from the table, weapons in hand, and headed out with the exit on fire. For the last bit of information that we have on the history between Odin and Loki, we have to also look at the information that Basim placed within the Assassin's server, within the Animus Anomalies. Within each anomaly, we get a brief conversation between an unknown male and an unknown female, though listening to the voices, 
we do know that the two are Loki and Alethea. In the first conversation, Alethea tells Loki that soldiers are at their door looking to arrest them. But Loki welcomes them so that he may air his issues with the courts. And then Alethea responds that they'll kill him before he can speak. Loki responds that he'll appeal to the council that they must know what the Mad One has done. Conversation ends with Alethea stating that now is not the time. Second conversation is about how the Isu will survive the Great Catastrophe. Alethea informing Loki that she has spoken to the Mother, the Father, and the Sacred Voice, and that they have assured her of their success, though Loki is doubtful because of the six failures. Alethea then tells him that the Mother is working on a seventh, but that she's confident that it will work, to which Loki asks what the other two says about it, and that they've grown silent. In the third conversation, the two talk about how the Mad One is away in a faraway land, trying to find a way to resurrect his son. To this comment, Alethea states that they can use this time to steal the seventh method, its serum, and its catalyst. Loki agrees, stating when the time is right, they will go. In a fourth conversation, Loki tells Alethea that if their son must suffer needlessly to the end of his life, his tormentor will as well. When asked what he did, Loki tells how the Mad One's son collapsed suddenly, because he ate a mistleberry, and that his father was standing over him, weeping. Alethea chastised Loki as reckless, and asked if he was seen or if they know it was him. Loki only responded with a laugh. In the fifth conversation, it sounds like Alethea is weak, asking if something is dangerous, and that it may not even work, asking Loki to go find the Mad One, and ask him for the serum, to even beg for it. Loki states he will not give that man a view of him on his knees, and that he wouldn't listen anyway. The sixth conversation has Alethea on the cusp of death from an injury, begging Loki to let her die where they were, as it was quiet. Loki states that this will not be her end, that there is a staff of Eden attuned to this method of transfer, and that it may work. Alethea responds, stating that she might end up like the outcast's husband, a beating heart without a mind. But, as she sees no other way, she allows him to do what he must. The seventh conversation is after Alethea has her consciousness transferred into the staff of Hermes Trismegistus, with Loki asking how she feels. Stating she feels herself and her sense of being, but that there was no pain, no joy, or even the passage of time. In the eighth anomaly, Loki curses a mad one for taking their son and for locking him away on false crimes. Alethea reminded him that the mad one said he would do that and that Loki should have been more careful. When asking if there was anything they could do, Alethea reminded Loki that to do this would show the world that Loki was unfaithful to his wife and admit that he was the father to her children. Asking if that was a risk he wanted to take, Loki responds that he must do something. The ninth started with Alethea telling Loki that the mother was stripped of her title for gifting the seventh solution to the Mad One. Loki, shocked, asked if it was viable, and asked why they weren't told. Alethea responded that she heard rumors that it required a human host. When asked if it meant a rebirth as a human, Alethea says that it's a small loss for a greater gain 
that it was a risk that they must be willing to take. The final anomaly starts with Loki saying that the cataclysm is upon them, and that the Mad One gathered his trusted eight into a secret hall. Alethea reminded him that he must be precise with what he does, and that every small step must be accounted for. When asked how long until his rebirth, Loki states that it will be a long time, and that she must wait in her endless present, and he will sail the black sea of non-being, but that if it goes well, he'll find her again on the far side of their doom. After getting all ten anomalies completed, we're treated to a short video of Odin and other Aesir watching a video of the great catastrophe hitting the Earth. After which they sit down in seats surrounding the Yggdrasil device as the room starts to fall apart. Workers put vials into the chairs, and the Isu put on specialized masks. A needle comes out, takes some of their blood, and puts it inside human embryos. When they come out, Odin claims that none may follow, least of all Loki, and has the others destroy their masks. The group of Odin, Tyr, and Freya are followed out of the vault with weapons in hand by Sif and Freyr to face their dooms. Loki stamps Heimdall in the chest through his seat and fights off the guards to take a seat at Yggdrasil, adding his DNA to the embryos and vowing to chase the Mad One past their doom. There's a lot to unpack here, and when figuring out what really happened between the two, it's important to remember that the stories that were told in Asgard and Jotunheim are told through Eivor, meaning that we're seeing these stories through the prism of Norse mythology, meaning that while the main ideas happen, the details wouldn't exactly pair up. Add this to not being exactly sure of the order of the conversations within the Animus anomalies, some things might be lost within translation. Throughout the mythic arcs, we're told that the Jotun and the Aesir are not friendly to each other, but this could very well be a connection to the Isu human war, as we see the Jotun have human slaves, while the Aesir do not. I wonder if this is why the instigating fact of the Jotun builder coming to Asgard has something to do more with that war than just Loki trying to hide his son in Asgard. While that part is speculation, it does seem to me that whatever did happen with the builder led directly into the imprisonment of Loki's son Fenrir, and that is the incident that truly started this rivalry. The imprisonment itself Loki felt was unjust and retaliated by killing Odin's son, most likely Balder with Missilberry. This leads to Loki seemingly being arrested and Odin going away to try to find a way to resurrect his son. During this time, Alethea, Loki's mistress, finds out from the father, the mother, and the sacred voice about the solutions to an upcoming catastrophe, and talks to Loki about it and how reckless he was for killing Odin's son. Eventually, Juno is dismissed from her work trying to stop the catastrophe, and loses her title of the mother, and uses Odin to steal the seventh solution from Jupiter, the father, and his daughter Minerva, the sacred voice. Odin does do this, and when Alethea and Loki find out, they start to hatch a plan to steal it from Odin. Alethea does end up getting fatally sick, which leads to Loki transferring her consciousness into the staff of Hermes Trismegistus and holding onto it until the catastrophe when he can use Yggdrasil to transfer his memories into the human gene pool. 
this rivalry doesn't even end with the transition of memories into the Yggdrasil device. It continues to Loki's rebirth as Basim, Ibn Ishak, and Odin as Eivor Varen's daughter. While Loki's memories take over Basim fairly early in his life, Odin's only appear to Eivor in one vision, and then through the potion that Valka makes for her, and never fully overtakes Eivor like Loki's did to Basim, or even Tyr's memories within Sigurd. But that doesn't mean the end of it for Loki. Even after Eivor and Sigurd trap him in Yggdrasil, he holds on to it until after he is freed by Layla and retrieves the Staff of Hermes in 2020. When Basim visited Eivor's grave after getting out of Yggdrasil, he even states that now he can take anything he wants from Eivor and will use them to reunite his family, which notes in Asgard and Jotunheim allude to it being Hel and Jormunder alongside Fenrir and Alethea. I know that the Animus Anomalies were put in by Basim to try to get Layla to see his side of the rivalry, though the conversations and his murder of Heimdall doesn't show him as a sympathetic character. Though, to be fair, the Asgard and Jotunheim arcs don't show Odin as one either. If anything, he's shown more of a pawn in Juno's scheme to give Aida a rebirth, and that his reward for helping her was the ability to test the rebirth process on him and his family. I'm hopeful that the upcoming DLC of Assassin's Creed Valhalla will shed some light onto the rivalry, because with what we have right now, I see both Loki and Odin in the wrong. And if we're to continue to play as Basim in the modern day, past Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we really need a reason to like him, as the information we have on him and Aletheia make them feel more like liars and manipulators than sympathetic. What do you think of the rivalry between Odin and Loki? Is it something you want more of? Or are you wondering if it'll get dropped like Juno and the Phoenix Project did in the games after Assassin's Creed Syndicate? Let me know in the comments, on Twitter, or in a podcast review. Thank you for joining me today. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. If you love the Visions of the Past podcast, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. If you have any questions about Assassin's Creed or topics you'd like me to cover, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at visions underscore AC, and you can find those links in the show notes below. Until next time, my assassin friends, make sure to follow the creed. And to those Templars listening, may the Father of Understanding guide you.